Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, January 14th, 2018, on the basis of Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. So last week, I mentioned that I was reading this little book entitled Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Now, I couldn't help but notice that as I mentioned it, I noticed a few strange looks around the room, maybe even a few snickers. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that as I talked about it a little bit, the word nerd was running through some of your heads. And so I wanted to assure you that I am not at all weird or unusual for reading that book. In fact, this week it was ranked number two on the New York Times bestseller list. In fact, the only book ranked ahead of it was Fire and Fury by Michael Wolff. And if you've heard anything about that book, I think you're pretty glad I'm reading this one instead of that one, I would imagine. Actually, the reason I bring it up again is because one of the other things talked about in this book, talked about in astrophysics, is the so-called theory of everything. You see, right now there are a number of different theories that explain how our material universe works. Some of those theories explain the universe on the very largest of scales, planetary orbits, black holes, the movement of the galaxies, things like this. Other theories explain the material universe on the smallest of scales. What holds subatomic particles together? What happens when we split them apart? Things like this. Well, a so-called theory of everything would, at least in theory, bring all of that together and offer one cohesive, neat and tidy explanation for how and why everything works the way it does. As of yet, this theory of everything has not been discovered. Maybe you can be the one. At least it hasn't been discovered when it comes to astrophysics. Not so the case when it comes to anthropology. In other words, not how the atoms and the asteroids behave, but how human beings behave. You see, if it really is true that God created all of us, that all of us descended from Adam and Eve as part of one human family, and that all of us are children of the fall into sin, then you would expect certain things to be true and to be held in common by every human being that has ever lived. For certain things to explain all kinds of human behavior, even when that human behavior seems to be very, very different. Starting today and throughout the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about some of the deep and profound needs that we as human beings have, needs that each and every person is in a very real way on a quest for. Understanding those needs helps us understand all kinds of different human behavior. You might have one example of human behavior that seems very normal and one that seems very unusual, one that we might judge to be morally acceptable and one that we might find morally repulsive and yet as different as those behaviors seem, one explanation for them ties them together. Thankfully, throughout this series, we're also going to see what we talked about last week. That even as we are on a quest for these deep, profound needs, we're going to find out that the one who can provide them to us has all the while been on a quest for us. We're going to see that as we talk about the specific thing mentioned in these verses from Romans chapter 6 today, as we talk about our quest for identity. What exactly do I mean by identity? Well, simply put, your identity is your answer to the question, 
Who am I? Once you strip away all of the incidentals and all of the superficials, who are you? Having a good, solid identity means not only having an answer to that question, but also being satisfied with the answer to that question. People pursue an identity in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes people pursue that identity in things that are outside of themselves, in the roles and different relationships that they have. So, for example, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a husband of a wife. I'm a father of three children. As you can imagine, for people who pursue their identity this way, the opinion of other people is very, very important. Other people pursue their identity not so much outside of themselves, but within themselves. My physical appearance, my personality. People pursue their identity in their dreams and ambitions, in their race, in their culture, even in the gender that they are and the gender that they are attracted to. As you can imagine, people who pursue their identity this way don't so much care about what other people think. The only opinion that matters is really my opinion of myself. People pursue an identity in all kinds of different ways, but really they all converge in one very important way. What do I do when I know who I am and I'm not happy with it? What do I do when the person I am is not the person I want to be? Generally speaking, the advice is simple. Change. Improve. Be better. Pick up a book. Start a diet, join a gym, get a different job, hang out with a different group of friends, whatever the case might be. If you're not happy with the you that you are, simply become a better you. And yet, unfortunately, people are finding, I think as a society as a whole, we are finding that this doesn't work. That even if I become exactly the person that I want to be, even if I am surrounded by people who tell me how fantastic I am, even if from a very early age I learned to tell myself how fantastic I am, eventually you hit a point in life where you just don't believe it, where you go through a very real identity crisis. Struggle mightily to know who you are, much less be satisfied with it. And any psychologist will tell you that someone struggling with a healthy sense of identity will go through major, major challenges. So thankfully, the solution that God offers us for this identity crisis is very, very different. It is much better than even becoming a better you. Here's how Paul says it. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So step one in God's solution to this identity crisis is actually for us to die. Like I was trying to explain to the kids, not in a a literal way, but in a figurative way, in a spiritual way, you might say. Everything that would have served as the basis for your identity goes away whether that's something you receive from someone else or something you find inside of yourself, it dies. As we sometimes even say, we we become dead to it. It no longer impacts us. It no longer affects us. It is no longer the source of our identity. Thankfully, Paul says that this death that we go through is with Jesus. 
which means that just as was the case with Jesus, this death is also followed by a resurrection. After that old self, that old identity is put to death, a new self, a new identity rises up. And it's not just a a different version of ourselves. It's not a, a better version of ourselves. It's not a slightly improved version of ourselves. It's a completely new self. In fact, this new identity, this new self, is Jesus. So now, after this resurrection has taken place, Jesus' love, his kindness, his generosity, they are our love and kindness and generosity. Jesus' perfect resistance to temptation, his perfect obedience to his Father's will, is our perfect resistance to temptation and obedience to our Father's will. God's approval, his smile, his chest puffing with pride over Jesus is now God's approval. His smile, his chest puffing with pride over us. Friends, if this is true, who really cares what other people think? If this is true, who really cares what we think about ourselves? This is what God thinks about us, and what God thinks about us is exactly what he thinks about Jesus. What's even better than a better you? A buried you. A you that has died with Christ and has also risen as Christ. Friends, Paul wants us to know that if we could remember this, if we could realize this and live this out each and every day of our life, there would be no limit to the impact it would have on us. In the immediate context of Romans chapter 6, he's talking specifically about sin. He says that the sin that by nature we so often find enticing and enjoyable and even fun, after we have gone through this death and resurrection, we are We are dead to it. It no longer enslaves us. It no longer possesses us or affects us in the very same way. But you know, elsewhere, Paul talks about this very same dying and rising and the impact that it has in our lives. And he doesn't just talk about sinful things. He says, where this dying and rising has taken place, there is no longer male or female. There is no longer employer or employee. There is no longer rich and poor. There is no longer one race and culture or another. It's not as if those things are no longer real or are no longer true of us. They are simply no longer the basis of our identity. You can maybe see how this can explain, this quest for identity can explain a lot of different human behavior. It's no secret that in our world today, All kinds of people are trying to work all kinds of change in their lives, some small and subtle, some drastic, in pursuit of identity. And so often it's very easy for us to get caught up asking only if that life that someone is pursuing or that life that we are pursuing is what we would consider quote-unquote normal or not, whether we'd consider it to be morally acceptable or not. All the while, we never once pause to ask, why in the world is is whatever this course of life might be, why is it the basis for our identity? 
The question is not simply whether a course of life is right or wrong, but whether or not that course of life possesses us, controls us, enslaves us, because it is the source of our identity. There's a reason this is very, very difficult. There's a reason why remembering and realizing each and every day that we have died and risen with Christ is tough. There's a reason why even after this happens, we still sometimes find sin so enticing. There's a reason why even after this has happened, we still sometimes look for our identity, our our sense of worth in our job, our wealth, our relationships, our appearance, our popularity. It's because, as I said before, this dying and rising, it's, it's figurative, it's spiritual. It's true, but it cannot be seen. We can't see it, no one else can see it either. And so thankfully, God's solution to this identity crisis has one more important step. Maybe you caught it as I read those verses before. Paul doesn't simply say that we have died and been buried and risen with Christ. He also tells us when and how it happened. All of it happened through baptism. See, God knows full well that sometimes realizing and remembering this reality about ourselves while it is absolutely real, isn't easy to remember because it is unseen. And so he inseparably ties this reality to something that very much can be seen, a visible, tangible event. You heard how God set the pattern for that when it came to the life of Jesus. God very clearly revealed Jesus' identity as his son, as the Messiah and Savior of the whole world. How did he do it? When did he do it? In and through his baptism. In the very same way, when and how does God cause a dying, a burying, a rising with Christ to happen in our lives in and through and with our baptism? If even better than a a better you is a buried you, one that has died and risen with Christ, then even better than a better you is a baptized you. God wants not simply to tell you that you've died and risen with Christ. He wants to show you. He wants you to see it. He wants you to touch it. So what if we did? What if each and every day we went back to that dying and rising with Christ by remembering the place and the event where it happened? What if we displayed our baptismal certificate in a prominent location in our house so that we were forced to walk by it all the time? What if, when anniversaries of that important day came around, we celebrated just as we do when our birthday occurs? What if every time we took a shower and felt that water touching our backs, we remembered the waters where that old identity was buried and from which a new identity emerged? What if every time you came to church and heard the words, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you remembered that those words and that sign of the cross were first spoken and made over you at your baptism? What if every time you struggled with insecurity and self-doubt and guilt and shame, rather than saying things like, I'm beautiful or I'm better than this, You said, I'm baptized. 
That might sound like some strange behavior. And yet, friends, rest assured that no matter how much you go back to your baptism, if you do, you will never be disappointed. Because that place and that event, it is the end of the frustration, the slavery, and the stress of finding your own identity. And it is the start of the peace and the joy and the freedom of the identity that came and found you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.